as we begin this morning, we are going to watch a little video. And in this video is uh, uh, somebody speaking, a guy called Francis Chan, who's an author and speaker in America. Some of you may know his name. Uh, and in it is a little illustration that he uses because he's a guy that was kind of fairly comfortable in life, uh, was leading a large church and was, everything was going smoothly. And he felt really that God was asking him to kind of give all of that up in a kind of radical act and move to a city and kind of spend time kind of giving away all the kind of comforts of life. And people were saying, you're mad. Everything's going really well. Why are you doing that? And he uses an illustration in this video of life being like a rope, one long piece of rope. And the end bit is kind of red, and then the rest is the kind of normal rope color. And he uses this illustration to describe our lives. Let's watch this video together as we jump in. Imagine this rope, okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on Earth. You've got a few short years here on Earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna save, 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 so I can really enjoy this part right here. You're consumed with that. You're thinking, oh man, am I gonna get to travel? Am I gonna eat well? Am I gonna do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about what about all this stuff? That's just it's crazy to me because because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm gonna exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible? enjoying myself as much as I can. Paul says, look, I'm gonna live my life for this mission. I'm gonna spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. So I'm gonna forget about all this stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not gonna look around. I'm gonna be like a runner, just looking at that moment when I face God, because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We have one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And so people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because that's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I look at the way people live, and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb, provocative, challenging words, language, interesting thoughts. Well, today, as Judy's mentioned, we continue our series called Living Life Well, where we're looking at practices that Christians all through history and all through the world have used to kind of live life well. And we're in this section that runs up to Easter, looking at the subject of worship. And in church culture, if you've been around church culture, we tend to think automatically of worship as music. Some of us love gospel music. Some of us love sort of contemporary styles of worship. 
Some of us love more liturgical. Some of us love more classical. Wish there was a sort of four-part choir. All sorts of battles and styles about styles of musical worship. And if you're in church leadership, you quickly realize that it is the one thing that you get most feedback about, musical styles. But these few weeks, we're going deeper than that. We're going to what the Bible describes about worship. Because we'll see that worship is not about musical styles at all. I love this quote from worship leader Bob Coughlin. Worship isn't primarily about music, techniques, liturgies, songs, or methodologies. It's about our hearts. It's about what and who we love more than anything. And so really, worship is about the who, not the how. And that's what the word worship means. It comes from the phrase, worth shape. What do we give worth to in our lives, and what's the shape of it? What does it look like? And usually that's towards some sort of God or some sort of thing. But we all worship something. So many of us spend so much of our lives dedicated to getting more and more and more money. We will use relationships. We will use our time. We will use our heads, our thoughts, even our prayers with this goal in mind, we give worth to money. Or others of us, it's about our career. We spend so much of our time dedicated, devoted to climbing the ladder to get where we want to be, hoping that where we want to be long term, that will be the thing that then fulfills us. Or others of us spend all of our time dedicated to the one. And so we spend all our time making ourselves look attractive, trying to do all we can for that one. Uh, and then when we get that one, we devote our energies and time rightly for that person. But when they begin to let us down, we realize that it's way bigger than somebody. We'd made them into a god. Others of us do the same with family. So important, isn't it, in our lives? But sometimes we can elevate our family to the position of a God so that when they let us down, it's way bigger than just being let down by someone you love. It's being let down by someone we've lived for. Others of us, even our bodies, spend so much of our time thinking about how buff we are or not. And that comes that stage, some point around about now for me, where you look in the mirror and you one day go, Oh, <laughs> what do we live for? We all worship something or some things, many of which are good things that is right to devote our lives to too. But are they worthy of worship? The author, who's not a Christian, David Foster Wallace, famous American author, said this. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. 
It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. Worship power. You'll feel weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart. You'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and on and on. We all worship. And so the question today is, if we do all worship, is that thing we worship worth worshiping? Some of us give our lives to things, and we know even today that we've elevated good things to God things in our lives. And we feel the crippling burden when they let us down. A partner that we've put on a pedestal gets something wrong, and it's way bigger than just a fellow human being letting us down. A child we idolize who goes astray. A career ending in redundancy, bank balance dipping. All natural things to be worried and concerned with, but some of us, we know they're way, way bigger because we've elevated them to the position of God. Well, in the book of Revelation that we've just read from, we've got this scene, this little vignette at the end of time with people worshipping. And the book of Revelation is a bit of a crazy book, crazy in a good way. Uh, And whether or not you spent much time reading it, it's probably one of the most misunderstood, abused books in the Bible. It's a vision, a dream that a guy called John has of the end of time and the future and things like that. But in it, we've got some people wondering if what they've devoted their lives to is worth it. You've got all sorts of vivid pictures and imagery in the book of Revelation. You'll know, if you remember the Cold War, imagery like this. So who's that image of? Well, it's, of course, the tussle between America and Russia. Russia is the great bear. America is the great eagle. We know that imagery. America eagle, Russia bear. Or we know other imagery. Three lions. Five nil. So that's England's. Or the Welsh, the Welsh dragon. Swing low, sweet chariot. Now that's England, isn't it? What's the other? What's the Welsh one? Sorry, I got that wrong. I've got some bad looks, bad looks. Bread of heaven. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Even Northern Ireland, you've got the cloverleaf. We know what that reference is. The people from Northern Ireland know what that reference is. Or even Scotland, again. We all know the imagery and we link it to Scottish football or whatever it is. And for the, if there are any Scottish fans, any Scottish fans here? Just uh, This is Kazakhstan's uh, logo, 3-0, unlucky. Uh, theirs is also an eagle. We use certain imagery to depict certain things in our national identity. And so when we come to the book of Revelation, we read about beasts and dragons. What we begin to realize, we've got a group of people who are being massively oppressed by their Roman Empire of the day and Nero and people like that. And they are wondering, is this Jesus that we've given our lives to worth worshiping? Because frankly, we are being burnt at the stake by this great beast. And is that the end of time, is this worth it, the pain that we're going through? Will this deliver for us? So you've got this dramatic, picturesque imagery of basically a group of people who've lived for God and are wondering, is he worth it? Is he worthy of our worship? Or you may have seen this picture. 
This is a Picasso image. And this is a Picasso image that is very vividly picturesque about the Spanish Civil War, so much so that in the UN headquarters in New York, there's a big tapestry of this on the way into the Security Council. Why a very vivid picture of what is a very real battle, but also represents way wider than that one particular war. God's people asking the question, this is really hard. Is he worth it? Because there's so many good things in life we want to live for. But is Jesus worth all of this? Suffering, pain, hardship. And the message of Revelation is this. In amongst all the complex imagery, Jesus wins. He really does. So don't give up. And if you hear nothing else this morning, whether or not you are regular at church, whether or not this Christianity thing is new to you, or you have no idea, this is the message go home with. Jesus wins. He really does. So don't give up. Cling to him. He's worthy of our worship. And it gives lots of reasons why he's worship. Look at verse 9. We read it earlier. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. First reason, he is worthy of our worship. He's worth giving our lives for in compared to all these other gods that we have in our world is because of the truly global reach of Christianity. Do you see that? A great tribe, a great nation, every nation, tribe and people and language, a great multitude. You don't need to dress a certain way. You don't need to learn a certain language. You don't need to speak a certain jargon to be part of God's story. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue before God's throne. No one could count so big. One of the great things here at Riverside is having the guys who speak with British Sign Language. Because it's a very vivid picture that we all don't speak English. In fact, just out of interest, how many people speak fluently another language other than English in the room? Just out of interest. Brilliant. How many is that? 20, 30 people? Wonderful. One day, we will get a glimpse of all the world before God's thrown in other languages, other tribes, other tongues. Wow, you don't have to fit in to a certain ancient culture's dress code or ancient culture's language or ancient culture's postures to be part of God's story. Jesus wants you as you are with your 21st century dress code. He's that welcoming. He's that embracing of all. And which is why, by the way, when it comes to music in church, it's why we have the kind of music we have. You may have pondered, why is it we have this sort of setup of music? It may be that your thing is 13th century Latvian folk music. That may be your thing. But that's probably quite niche in today's society. Or it may be your thing is Los Angeles thrash metal. Great, but it's probably quite niche. In other words, the style of music that many churches have is deliberately trying to be as embracing to as many people as possible from every culture, every tribe, every tongue. It may not be your real thing. You may love choral music. Fantastic. 
But many churches have the style of music we do simply as a way of saying this is as embracing as possible to as many people. Why? Because it's about the who, not the how. So that's the first thing. Why worship? Because of the truly global reach. The second thing is this, because of what he has done. Did you read these words? This great tribe, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. White robes, palm branches, representing two things. In the Roman Empire... They didn't have Purcell. So they were used to clothes not being particularly clean. And here you have white robes representing being washed clean, purity. Here's the thing, those things that we live for in our lives, can they deal with our past mistakes? Can they deal with the mess that lies way behind us that we all have in one form or another? Can they deal with those things that we're ashamed of and wouldn't wish that nobody else in this room knew? Can they deliver on that? Can they set us free from that? Make us pure from that? Here they're wearing white robes, cleansed, forgiven. Whoever we are, whatever we have done, that's a good thing. But not only purity... There's something else in the Roman Empire. Do you know, you may have seen the films like in Gladiator and stuff, where a victory is won. What do the emperors wear? White robes. And they wore palm branches, and they even had palm leaves around the head in sort of those funky headscarf things. Why? Because it's victory, purity, forgiveness from the past, and victory. Joy. And so, friends, if you're here thinking, I don't know if Jesus is worth it. The message of today is Jesus wins. He really does. Keep going. He wins. And no wonder they respond in the way they do. What do they do? All the angels were standing around the throne. They ran the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne. There's a physical thing. They cry out, they shout, they get down on their knees, which is why so many people in worship, when we gather together, some might put their hands in the air, some might fancy a little bit of a jig, some might just be like that. That's absolutely fine. Nothing is wrong, but it's just an expression. When we go to football matches, we cheer, or not, if we're Scotland against Kazakhstan, whatever it might be. Getting pointing fingers at the back there. When we go to a wedding, what do we do? We shout and celebrate. Woo! We throw confetti. Bodily expressions of celebration, so too. When we come face to face with the one who sets us free from our past and has won the greatest victory, even over death, that's worth celebrating, isn't it? That's why people sometimes jump around or put their hands in the air. So that's the second aspect. And the third is this, as we come to a close. It's not just what God has done in the past. It's not just because of this truly global reach that embraces all of us, whoever we are. We don't have to have the right background, the right education. But look at what it points forwards to. Who are these people? These are the people who've come out of the great tribulation, that real hardship of opposition for keeping clinging to Jesus. They've washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they're before the throne of God, serve him night and day in his temple. And look at, listen to these words, and some of us need to hear this today. 
He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. A few weeks ago, we had an evening at Riverside House. It was Judy organized. But we thought about what it means to die well. It was a brilliant evening involving a number of people of the congregation, Margaret Sherman, who works in palliative care. James Tomlinson was his GP and interviewing a guy called John Wyatt, who's written a book on it. And what was really lovely from that evening was, in one sense, it was a bit weird talking about dying, and yet the sense of real freedom that for those who are in Christ, that because of Jesus, there is hope even beyond death. And so we can read that there will be a day where God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. I don't know who wipes away your tears. No one wipes away mine. And if they do, it would only be probably my wife or my sons. It'd be a bit weird if someone else just wiped away. Because it's a real intimate act. And that picture that one day, friends... God himself will wipe away your tears. No more hunger, no more thirst. All those broken nights, all those sobbing on the kitchen floor. Wiping away that darkness that may be over you. Jesus wins. He really does. Keep going. Keep going. And do you notice where this is all done? As I come to a close. Look at the very last word of that on the screen. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. When we're in God's presence, face to face, we begin to get a glimpse of how good he really is. So friends, Jesus wins. He really does. So don't give up. And as we come to respond, I'm going to invite the band back up. And we're going to respond in a... uh, certain way. We've got a good bit of time now, and we're going to pray. We're going to spend time praying with each other, praying for each other. Because I would guess that there are many people in here who, for one degree or another, don't feel this on the screen. Life is hard. We're exhausted. We're tired. We've got questions we're not really sure anymore, and the things that we're living for seem so immediate, and this just seems a little bit distant. Or just frankly, life has done stuff to us. Or those we love have done stuff to us that we're just not sure whether it's worth following him anymore, whether he can deliver on all this. And yet we've caught that glimpse of one day he'll wipe away every tear. And we say, I want that. 